0: Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We are studying the book of Ephesians this quarter, and this week it's lesson number three, The Power of the Exalted Jesus. We're glad that you could be with us again as we continue our journey through this incredible book. Let's begin today with prayer. Father, we're grateful to be able to gather together with you as Paul helps us to understand you better and your love for each and every one of us. We ask that you'll bless our time together this week, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're blessed once again this week to have the author of the Sabbath School lesson, and that is Dr. John McVeigh. He is the president of Walla Walla University. John, thanks for coming back again.
1: It is good to be back, and it's good to be back together in Ephesians. That's right, and this is is setting itself up to be
0: an incredible book. I mean, it's always been incredible, but we're starting to see some things here that maybe many people have never seen before
1: this is theologically rich which is which is a way of saying it talks a lot about what god does for us through jesus and uh it's 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 important to read it but it's also very very rewarding to realize just how much god loves us and how he has expressed that through jesus a relatively
0: short book could be easily skipped through we're not doing that. We're taking 14 weeks to just to pull it apart bit by bit and find those those hidden gems. Now, as we've looked at in the first couple of weeks, we've seen that Paul writes this book to the Christians in Ephesus and they're they're going through some challenging times. Things have been good. Now they're kind of more at a at an ebb than they were. True. and and Paul is trying to to help us in lesson number three, help us or help them understand the power of Jesus.
1: Yes. Help us through this. Paul doesn't say a lot in Ephesians about local conditions and circumstances. So he doesn't talk about them being persecuted and so on, but we do have that hint that we have looked at at the end of chapter 3 that he's afraid they're going to lose heart and lose some of the crispness of their grasp on the power and grace of God and of Christ. And so he's reminding them of their privileges as Christians and especially how important and wondrous it is that they are part of something called the church and God's activity in and through the church.
0: This week we're looking at chapter 1 and specifically verses 15 through 23. When when the Christian believers are going through these challenging times, these difficult times, this perhaps this... Um, well, questioning, as mm-hmm. it were, what kind of hope does he give him? Where do, what does he what does he give him as
1: encouragement? Well, you know, Paul isn't real subtle here, is he? He he he's gonna he's just gonna open open the cosmos of grace, uh, God's glorious universe uh, universe of grace to them. He's gonna give them the full load of everything, time past his. His sense of all of this marches down through time, buried in the eons of before the foundation of the world, and then uh, the more recent times with the creation of the church made up of Jews and Gentiles through the grace of God expressed in Jesus so he 's going to move them on through this it's a it 's a wonderful passage
0: and and we look at this, and it 's kind of We've got a little bit of a prayer report going on in here.
1: Yes, it's another prayer report. It, he starts in verses 15 through the fir- and the first part of 16 with a thanksgiving. I thank God for you. Uh, that's that's a frequent element. But then he moves in the last half of verse 16 on through the end of the passage. Verse 23 is a prayer report. He's telling them how he's how he's praying for them. And you mentioned that,
0: that he is trying to inspire and encourage them. What are some of the, the realities that he wants them to, to grasp, to know,
1: to understand? Well, living in Ephesus as they do, uh, which was as most places would have been in the ancient world, most cities certainly, a, a place that's really interested in magic and in worship of a whole variety of deities, and the reason their fellow citizens would have been interested in worshiping the various deities is to try to make some difference in the doomed existence that was fated for them because of the conjunction of planets and stars at the time of their birth. So Paul is going to react to that here in quite a natural way. Uh, If they're drawn toward these powers, little p., he wants them to be drawn to the great power capital P to God and the power of God expressed in Jesus for us as believers How does he help them to see that reality
0: that that grander scope of things
1: well he's going to do that through the prayer report, so he 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 must have figured hey listen uh, i need I need these people to understand ultimate reality, I need them to understand what's going on at the heart of the cosmos at the throne of God. I especially need them to understand the exaltation of Jesus. And the best way to do that is tell them how I pray for them every day. Uh, And so he, he gives us a prayer report of what he prays for them, and he moves through these grand blessings of Christian faith and life that he asks be present in the lives of Christian believers there in Ephesus.
0: And there are really three areas that he wants them to, to know and understand. What are those three areas?
1: Well, uh, he he lists them here starting in, in verse 18. And again, we're breaking into one of these long sentences, uh, these tapeworm sentences that Paul writes in Ephesians and some other places like Romans chapter 8. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, uh, uh, First first prayer request here, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So, number one, he wants the hope to which they have been called to be planted deep in their hearts. Now, what do you think he means by that, Eric?
0: They've got something. God has a plan for them, something that he wants them to know, to understand, to experience, to live, that maybe they're not grasping.
1: Yeah, I think this is referring to the Christian hope that they came to understand at the moment of their conversion, that's at the heart of their Christian experience. And Paul will kind of tell and retell their conversion experience as we move through Ephesians, and this would be probably an allusion to to that. They they accepted Christ as Savior, and in that moment they received the call of hope, right? They had the promise of eternal life, and... and in accepting Christ, they gained hope, real, genuine hope. And perhaps that has been slipping a bit, and Paul is praying that that hope would enliven their Christian experience, would warm their hearts, would be central to who they are. So that's the first, that's the first, that's one. The first one. That's the first one. What's then the next one? The second one is the riches of the glory of God's inheritance in the saints. Now... Paul can also talk in this letter about the inheritance that we receive at the second coming of eternal life and so on. But in a couple of places, uh, he talks about God's inheritance in the saints. That's kind of an interesting way to think about that relationship, isn't it? We're valued by God, so much so that Paul can refer to us, to believers, as God's inheritance the thing he is looking toward, owning fully and completely. He wants us. He's after us. And he loves us and he values us. We are God's inheritance. And so Paul prays in that line. He wants them to understand the riches of the glory of God's inheritance in the saints. Another way, I think, a fancy, kind of involved, of a flowery way of saying, I want you to know God loves you.
0: And he does it beautifully. He makes that very, very
1: plain. So what's the third one? The third one is going to take up most of Paul's uh, attention here in this passage. So the, he starts off the third prayer request. I, I want you to know, I want the Spirit to plant in your heart the exceeding greatness of God's power exercised on behalf of believers. I, 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 want, I want you to know just, just how much power God is willing to share with you in your life. I want you to know that. So there is
0: power for believers. And sometimes believers today I say believers maybe with a with a lowercase B sure. because their belief is this much, yes I believe. Right. It's a, an assent to, but not necessarily an all-encompassing, all-enveloping belief. Paul's trying to help us understand here that there's there's more. There's a whole lot more, if we if we're willing to uh, to understand it. And Paul goes into some reasons why we can believe these things. Uh, salvation history events, if, yes. if we might call them that. So he's
1: he's not satisfied with simply saying, God's got a lot of power and he's going to share it with you. He's going to now give us some benchmarks for the kind of power, uh, the the scope of the power God wishes to share with believers, and I think also, rather importantly, the source of that power. So he sees... The power that God is willing to share in our lives. He sees it mirrored and rooted in four grand salvation history events. And it's important for us to think about those.
0: So these four great salvation history events uh, we're going to take a break in just a moment. We may not be able to delve deeply into each of them, but let's let's highlight them very okay, quickly. Let's, let's hit each. Of let's them. hit each one okay. of them quickly, and then we're going to come back and, and unpack them.
1: So, number one, first part of verse twenty, God raised Jesus from the dead. You want to know how much power is available to you? Look at the resurrection of Jesus. Number two, He seated Him at His right hand. Verses twenty and twenty-one, He God put all things under. His feet, the feet of Jesus, verse twenty-two a, and finally, fourth grand salvation history event, God gave him as head of all things to the church, uh, verses uh, twenty-two and twenty-three.
0: So four things that we can bank on, as it were, yes. that, that show us just exactly how much power God has,
1: and a couple of these we're we're kind of used to the, the resurrection of Jesus and the exaltation of Jesus at the throne of God, seating, sitting him, seating him at his right hand. The other two are a little fresher to us, a little newer to us, and, and we should look at those. Yeah, we're going
0: to dig into those. But before we take a quick break, I want to encourage you and remind you that if you are enjoying this study of the book of Ephesians, there's actually more that you can be getting out of it. We're glad that you're enjoying the weekly study. We're glad that you're enjoying this program. But if you really want to dig into the book of Ephesians more deeply, make sure that you pick up the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath school lesson. It is called Ephesians by Dr. John McVeigh. And you can find this book at itiswritten.shop. Again, that's at itiswritten.shop. Simply look for the book Ephesians. It is the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath school lesson. And it delves into much deeper detail on many of these subjects. In fact, more than what we are able to cover in the weekly study. A fantastic addition if you enjoy teaching Sabbath school, if you want to uh, contribute some deeper, more profound, as it were, thoughts, insights in your Sabbath school class, or if you simply want to understand the book of Ephesians better so that Christ can sit more powerfully on the throne of your heart, you want to pick up this companion book, again called Ephesians, and it is found at itiswritten.shop. We're going to come back in just a moment as we continue looking at these elements, these events in salvation history, and why Paul spends so much time talking about them. We'll be right back.
1: Planning for your financial future is a vital aspect of Christian stewardship. For this reason, It Is Written is pleased to offer free planned giving and estate services. For information on how we can help you, please call 800-992-2219. Call today or visit our website, hislegacy.com. Call 800-992-2219.
0: More and more people are watching It Is Written TV. They're watching their favorite It Is Written programs, listening to inspiring sermon series, and much more. They're watching them here, here, and even here. See for yourself why people are turning to It Is Written TV to watch their favorite Christian programs live and on demand. Watch It Is Written TV for free anytime on Roku, Apple TV, and at itiswritten.tv. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're continuing our study of lesson number three here. And, John, you made mention just before we went to break of these four events in salvation history. But we don't want to just gloss over these and move on, because Paul certainly doesn't do that.
1: No, we don't. We, we, we need to dwell on these prayer lists. Uh, we need to learn about what it's like to to actually pray in the way Paul does. Um, so let me, let me pause there for just a moment. Let's talk about prayer life a la Paul, <laughs> praying like Paul. Notice that he's thanking God for the, the believers, right? You know, some of the prayer services that I've been part of can get a little down in the mouth. Dear Lord, you know all the trouble and trauma that Sister Smith is experiencing. You know that she's lost this and that and, and the other. By the time you get... Through with that long litany of trouble and woe, you kind of end the prayer with something like, if there's any chance, please bless her, amen. (laughs) Paul really sees thanksgiving as the key to to prayer life. So instead of praying for Sister Smith that way, we, we pray in the key of praise and thanksgiving. Dear Lord, thank you for being today active in the in the experience of Mrs. Smith thank you for blessing her with power to meet every need and she has many to meet the needs of her lives so instead of a down of down at the mouth kind of prayer it's a prayer in the key of thanksgiving and praise where we where we're thanking God for what he is doing and what he will do in the lives of the people we're praying for so, if we were to model our prayer life on on Paul, that's maybe the way we would pray, and i've I've tried it, I've put it into practice, and I find it to be a very enriching, hope filled, hope generating way of of praying. yeah, as we look
0: at Paul's example and others, there is a great deal of thanksgiving that they exactly. incorporate into prayers and And you're right sometimes sometimes not every prayer uh, prayer meeting that we attend. Uh, dwells on that yes. very long. So but let's we dwell a something. little
1: less on the problems. Let's dwell more on the power of God that can be and will be by his grace expressed in the lives of his saints. But moving back now to the prayer list, and, and we will see this again in chapter 3, another prayer report. I, f- I find it wonderful to kind of listen in. There's a certain intimacy about listening as Paul prays for these people that he loves and uh, that he has heard about. Sometimes he doesn't necessarily know all of them, but he's praying for them. And his big prayer request is for the presence, the fresh presence of the Spirit in their lives, right? That's the biggie. And then he's hoping that the, and he's praying, that the Spirit will reinforce their hope, reinforce God's love for them, and especially that the, the Spirit will give them a fresh understanding of how much power and what kind of power is available to them and where that power comes from, where it's rooted, and it's rooted in these four grand salvation history events, the resurrection of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus, putting all things under the feet of Jesus, and the giving of Jesus as head of all things to his church. So those four events and understanding those four become important to Paul. And in these
0: last verses in chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, you see in, in these four salvation events, resurrection, exaltation, you also see the coronation of, of Jesus here. How does that all fit in?
1: Well, it's, it's kind of interesting. Not so long ago, uh, we watched the coronation of uh, Charles III, of the United Kingdom, right? In watching that, there's a a real sequence to a coronation, isn't there? I mean, talk about the pageantry and every little thing has to happen at just the right moment. And there's a kind of sequence going on here in Paul's portrait of the exaltation of Jesus in chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, right? So it begins, as we've noted, with a resurrection, now, that's a strange coronation, isn't it? <laughs> it starts not with the birth of a king, but in a sense with the death of a king and the resurrection of this king, Jesus, from, from his death. So Jesus, who is now about to be crowned king of the cosmos, has died, and the sequence of his exaltation begins with his resurrection from death. Hallelujah. Uh, then comes the enthronement, let's call it. Because he is now, he's, he's exalted, he ascends to heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. The Father seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And this new position of the enthroned Jesus places him not just above, but far above every power real or imagined in time and eternity. Correct? Yes. Uh, wonderful description. So Christ is placed far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. Remember, Ephesus is a place where a lot of names get named. You remember back when in week one we were studying the backstory of Ephesians and we were studying those about those seven itinerant Jewish exorcists who put their abracadabra together. They write in the names of Jesus and Paul. This is a place that knows about naming names. And and Paul wants to make sure that believers know that every name in, that is named, not only in this age but in the one to come, all of those powers, real and imagined, <laughs> are put under the lordship of Jesus. He is far above them all. Hallelujah. So a, a beautiful
0: picture of this, this rising to power, at least in our minds, of, of who Christ is. And it's interesting in verse 22, it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So it just exalts him higher and higher above exactly. anything and everything that, that there is.
1: But uh, then we come back to those next two events, which are a little less right. uh, familiar to us. And I, I think it helps to kind of parallel them with what we saw going on in the Charles III uh, uh, coronation. Because as as I watched those events, I'm a bit of an Anglophile, so I probably spent a little more time watching it than I maybe should have. But you might remember that uh, in the case of King Charles, his domain is subjugated to him, if you will, by a variety of elements of the coronation ceremony. In his case the the domain is fairly constrained. The UK and the Commonwealth countries, right, are put beneath his power and authority. In the case of King Jesus, the scope of his domain, the scope of his authority is boundless. It encompasses all things. And he, God the Father, put all things under his feet, under the feet of Jesus boundless scope of his dominion so we would call that i would call that the act of subjugation so that's the third element we've talked about he put all things under his feet nothing there's nothing outside of his his authority it's all in everything owes its allegiance and and its worship and honor to king jesus and we've got one more left a fourth one one more the fourth one would be the presentation so again harking back to Charles and Buckingham Palace and 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 all of that. You'll remember that after Charles was was crowned, he was driven back to Buckingham Palace in a, a gold encrusted carriage. What a what a vehicle that is, right? And and he appeared on the palace balcony to to great acclaim, and he and his family members and his entourage appear on the balcony and receive the acclaim of of huge throng of citizens gathered out there and, and we might call that the presentation so the subjugation in the, in the case of Christ would be all things being put under his authority and the presentation would be that he is now given to the church there's a little nuance here that we should notice it, it's not that it's not that he uh, is let's see how does it how does it put it let me make sure I get it right He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So he first becomes the head of all things. And then as head of all things, he is given to the church. So we see these four wonderful, amazing things. The resurrection of Jesus, his enthronement seated at his right hand, the subjugation with all things put under his feet, and, and finally, we, we see this presentation where he is now given, as head of everything, he's given, presented to, if you will, the church. So Paul walks us
0: through all these different steps, as it were. He's also kind of referencing back to Psalms a little bit in, uh, in this. How do we see Psalms working into what we're seeing here?
1: Yeah, so Paul is not inventing these four scenes in his mind. He's just doing Bible study. He's just reflecting Christian convictions about what the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, says, and particularly the Psalms. So in Psalm 110, the first three verses there, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Well, clearly Paul is reading that passage here to say this is about what's happened at the throne of God, that we cannot see But it is revealed to us in Scripture that God the Father enthrones Jesus in heaven. So he sees a prediction of the exaltation slash coronation of of Jesus. Uh, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Continuing on with that passage. And then Psalm 8, verses uh, 3 to 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the Son of Man that you care for him. You've made him a little lower than the angels than the heavenly beings. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now, you notice we often read that passage about human beings, but it mentions the Son of Man, right, which is a title for Jesus. So Paul clearly reads that passage to say, See, in Psalm 8, it is a prophecy that god the father would put all things under the feet of jesus
0: so paul walks us through in a relatively speaking few verses just an opportunity for us to see how powerful god is Amen. and how he wants god to have that his desire god's desire also is to have that kind of power in our lives so that we can do we can be who christ wants us to be we can do the things that christ desires us to do and that includes you as well god wants you to understand that he has power power to give you hope power to give you a future power to use you to share his love with others and as we continue looking at the book of ephesians week by week our hope and prayer is that you're going to see that power not just see it but experience it in your own life so that you can be an epistle, as it were, from God to others. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We look forward to seeing you again next week as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians here on Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written.